Welcome to episode 249 of Destination Linux. Now, whether you're brand new to open source or you're a guru of sudo, hey, this is the podcast for you. My name is Noah, and with me today are my friends Ryan, Jill, and Michael. Also, just off camera, hyped in directly from Jitsi, is the glorious community of fact-checking, ego-busting patrons. You, too, can become a member of the fact-checking, ego-busting patrons by signing up at patreon.com, and we'll give you access to watch the recording of the show and hang out with us in between the sections. Now, on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to discuss whether your you or your organization should be using the Brave browser and its new search engine. That's right. We've listened to what you've written in. We've come back and we've said we're ready to discuss this. So we're going to discuss a new data ana analysis predicting some explosive growth in Linux and what this means for innovation and jobs in the open source world. Plus, of course, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks, all of this and more coming up right now on Destination Linux. This week in our community feedback, Sam writes us to say, Hi, I just wanted to give my opinion on the Firefox transitioning to Snap topic as I found it a bit underreported in several podcasts. To me, this is not about the make or break of Snaps. There being no way to hide from Snaps anymore or being supportive of new technologies in Linux. This is about credibility. With this move, Canonical's credibility took a major hit and with it, Linux. And that is very, very bad. You don't announce an impacting change a month before the release of a new version of your OS. That's insane. And there's obvious impact since there's no feature parity at all with the current package. Firefox and Chromium will suffer from known regressions. I logged ours two years ago when Chromium became a snap, which I ironically defended. That will hit a lot of organizations, including ours. With no predictable way forward and no commitment towards the next LTS and all this because of a change in the packaging format. Honestly, an implementation detail. For context, I work for Belgian government. Identity card is a smart card that provides authentication, electronic signature functions to all Belgian residents over 18. We have supported Linux for decades. To do so, we need access to libraries that impact PKCS11 security devices and implement native messaging to access the smart card directly. Our code is open source and we provide native packages for many distributions, including Ubuntu, Debian, Mint, Fedora, Red Hat, and OpenSUSE just to say we care. The software is used to read data from the card and used for authentication. And it goes into details about how their users use that. Well, not anymore. I'm baffled by this and complete lack of time to even prepare for it, supporting the amount of people we do. To me, Ubuntu just got degraded to a toy OS that we should never rely on for our critical work. Not because of snaps. This has nothing to do with snaps. This is about governance. I've been using Linux for 20 plus years and Ubuntu is my daily driver for 13 plus years. Trust me when I say I take no joy in writing this mm -hmm. mail. Kind regards, Sam. All right, so Sam has a couple points here. Number one, a lot of podcasts haven't been covering this change. I think that's an interesting topic in itself. And then whether this change is something that we should be doing. I think a lot of podcasts probably avoided this topic because of the fact that we all knew this is kind of the way Ubuntu is going, right? Where they're going to make everything they can into a snap. They're going to push the snaps. They did this with Chromium before this, and they're going to do it with Firefox to me. Uh, isn't as unexpected as some people may be be taking this news as. I kind of just think everything pretty much is going to be a snap. So if you have an issue with that, I think that's going to make it very hard to use Ubuntu. But I'm curious what you guys think about this. Noah, what are your thoughts on Ubuntu making this change? Does this bother you? Because I know you use Ubuntu for a lot of your clients and other things. I do. And I guess I, I'm, I'm a split mind. On one hand, 
yeah, it's concerning to me because it seems like it falls hot on the heels of, hey, we're not going to, we're we're offloading development from what we're doing internally and we're just going to take whatever comes down the pipe. Then you see the staff changes that happened at Canonical and the people, the movers and shakers, people that cared about the Linux desktop, they're not so much there anymore. So with putting using that as context for this, then it makes me a little concerned. On the other hand, we just deployed a the the uh, snap version of Nextcloud, and we'd previously done it in Docker, and obviously had done it just on you know like a bare metal install is not a VM, but bare metal install. And the snap they've done such a remarkable job at working with these organizations to make sure that the snap packages are up to date. I don't update the Nextcloud instance; it just updates itself. Just, it's frustrating because they're is value there's real value in in going towards that universal style app package i don't know that it necessarily has to be snap um, but i think there is tremendous value there so interestingly enough i was doing some research on this and saw that you know according to the claims mozilla actually asked for this themselves to 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 transfer this into Mm -hmm. a snap and basically be able to update things on a whim that they want I think you can turn off some of those features in Snap so you can make it so it doesn't auto-update. You can do some of that stuff, but you'd have to be aware of that uh, to do that. Also, you could install Firefox, you know, extended life, extended support versions and things through PPAs and other stuff. So there are ways around it. It's not like you can't install regular Firefox. It's just mm-hmm. the initial install is a Snap here. I, I think I agree with you, Noah, that a lot of all the signs are pointing, including the release notes to the latest Ubuntu, that the desktop is obviously not even in their sight anymore. They really, if they're really focusing on the cloud, and that's where they're putting all of their attention on. So stuff like this, I think, is going to become more of a norm. So I wasn't surprised by the news, but it's interesting to see a lot of people in the community were upset with it. Uh, Michael, do you have any thoughts on this? You've used Firefox for a long time. You've been a big supporter of Ubuntu for a long time. Does this bother you? I mean, not necessarily that it bothers me because I knew it was going to happen at some point, but I do think that they did it much too soon. Like, mm-hmm. for example, what Noah was saying about the snaps for Nextcloud and also some other server-related stuff, the snaps on the server side are actually very interesting and very effective because they're not doing GUIs on the, in these cases. But mm-hmm. when you put snap in and in, in use it in a GUI, in most cases, it's kind of annoying because it takes forever to load the snap or it has weird wonky issues with like fonts or some configuration that just makes it. And like in some cases, the applications look like they're still from 1997. <laughs> and it, it's just like, in my opinion, snaps are not quite there yet for desktop stuff. But in terms of server stuff, I think they're fantastic. So if I had my ideal situation, it would be flat packs for desktop snaps for servers. And I think that that's the, the overall better um, experience that we, if, if there was a possibility of that kind of consolidation, that would be great. I, I don't see that happening because of the, you know, the, the push that Canonical is doing for snaps, but it would be awesome for me in terms of like what is best overall. Cause I think flat packs are a fantastic experience in desktops and they're not made for servers. So there, there is a value there that they could do. But I think that snaps on the server are quite good. I just don't think that they're, you know, ready yet for the desktop and especially for a default, a big package or a big application as default as much as Firefox. And I know I know that Mozilla said that they said that Mozilla was asking for it. But 
okay, sure. They probably were like, yeah, we'll take it over and we'll do it. But I mean, I don't think that they were like, hey, like five years ago, hey, Canonical, make snaps so we can take it over. You know, I think it's more of right. like it was a partnership agreement thing between them, more than likely. Interesting. Yeah. Jill, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah. So I think Canonical, you know, did learn a lot of lessons from the Chromium snap. <laughs> that definitely thing. I think this one will be the Firefox Snap will be much more improved. And like Michael and Noah have both said, you know, the 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 snaps are there for the server side in the cloud for easy updates, whether it be through the command line or or the GUI. And that's what they are for. They're not aimed at the desktop market. But on the good note is we're always we always have a tar dot bz2 of firefox that we can download in fact that's the one i download for all my distros <laughs> right so there's still yeah. workarounds with it and yeah i think that's the key but <laughs> I, you know ubuntu's kind of been out of sight out of mind for me for a while now and i just kind yeah. of expected this so it wasn't a shock to me but i think this was an awesome topic to bring up so sam mm -hmm. thank you for absolutely. writing this to, to talk to about it yeah Absolutely. And we appreciate everybody out in our worldwide community. And so if you have something that maybe you heard on the show that sparked an idea or something you want to suggest to us, well, we invite you to write in what you need to do. There's a very specific process you need to follow. We need you to get your official DLN mug. We need you to fill it with some coffee while sitting on a stool and then send an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. Our robots will scan that, go through it. Our team will prioritize, <laughs> and you just might make it into the show. Now, if you can't wait for all of that to happen and you want to become a, a member of the community immediately, then go over to dealinform.com and interact with us there. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now's the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean and their new app platform service that helps you build modern cloud native apps for way less money. With their app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps using static websites and faster and easier than ever with their simple, intuitive interface. All you do is point your app platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let them do all the heavy lifting. Now, whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby static sites, Docker, or container images. By running on their app platform, you're using their own infrastructure, and DigitalOcean helps keep costs significantly lower than other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes platform, which makes a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure and the setup too. Now, the best part, as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast, as a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's even better than free. They're going to pay you to get started. Are you ready to make a hundred bucks? Here's how you can get a free hundred dollars. You go to do.co slash DLN. When you go to do.co slash DLN, it does a couple of things. It tells DigitalOcean that you are a proud member of the DLN community. It tells us that you appreciate the content that we're doing. And it tells all of us that you need a hundred dollars so that you can go try out DigitalOcean's new app platform that you have an idea and you just need the infrastructure to get it up and running. So go to do.co slash DLN, get that free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And of course, a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So it's time we talk about Brave. Look, anytime, Noah mentioned this at the beginning, but this is this is absolutely 100% true that we talk about browsers in any form or fashion, even just mention them on a whim like I opened a browser. We get a flood of emails talking about Brave. Why don't you talk about Brave? But what about Brave? Brave, are you using Brave? 
great <laughs> people are like the arch of Linux is kind of, I think we t- they talk about it a lot. So I love the loyalty <laughs> to so Brave out there. A lot of people love Brave and the opinions on Brave are that it is one of the most private and secure focused browsers out there. That's a lot of the opinion of the users out there and a lot of independent studies as well. People who look into uh, various security things talk about Brave being one of the most privacy-focused browsers by default out there on the market. So we decided to give the Brave Army an entire section of the show this week to discuss everything that Brave has for its users and why we decide to use it or not use it and some of the good and bad and also talk about their brand new search engine that they have out there that's competing with the likes of DuckDuckGo and others. So there's a lot of stuff to get into the Brave world, but I kind of want to start with this. Michael, why don't you use Brave? What's your problem? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for putting me on the spot, buddy. You're welcome. So (laughs) the only reason I don't use Brave is uh, because of the Chromium base. I I don't want to use a Chromium browser if I don't have to. Now, I still use a Chromium browser for some things because in the, this world that we currently live in, in terms of like the web, the the web movement is kind of going towards the Chromium base, which is not ideal for me as a Firefox user. But that's really the only reason. I, I think Brave has a lot of good. Uh, okay, it's not just the Chromium thing. It's the Chromium thing plus I just love container tabs inside of Firefox. And if another browser put in container tabs in their browser, I mean. It'd be hard for me to That's say the thing, no. That's the thing about Vivaldi. You're yeah. Like, it had container tabs I'd be using. Yeah, it's hard. Tab, it's yeah. mostly the container tabs, if I'm honest. It's it's almost <laughs> exclusively container tabs. The extra Chromium piece is another factor, but I just love container tabs. But I think Bra- uh, Brave is a great browser in terms of like, I think this most interesting thing is that they have so much focus on privacy and they even do like uh, fingerprint blocking, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, they have all these different services and there's new things that they're launching just, you know, this past week or so. I, I think there's a lot of value to Brave, but one value they need to add for me to use is container tabs. So some of the interesting things and features about Brave we'll cover, and then I'd like to get Noah's opinion on this. And then Jill, of course, is that Brave's idea is it gives users a choice to turn on optional ads that pay users for their attention in the form of basic attention tokens. So one of the things that Brave does very differently that may confuse you if you're coming from another browser is these options to turn on Brave's optional ad system in which then you can acquire cryptocurrency based on the ads and then you can pay out that cryptocurrency if you want to certain sites and things that you visit. What Users were these tokens the, called that you, that pay that pay you for paying attention? What was it called? Bat. bat. bat oh, bat. you weren't paying uh, attention. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. That's why you don't get any bat. Tokens. Sorry about yeah. that. Sorry about that. <laughs> pay attention tokens, Michael. <laughs> Uh, users can contribute these to websites and content creators. However, there is some controversy there. For instance, there was a period of time where a YouTuber made a video because they hadn't signed up for Brave's reward system and Brave was just keeping all the currency and not notifying them that there was, you know, people donating this way. So that caused some issues in the past. It was founded by Brender Ike, who was the co-founder of the Mozilla project, the project that you love so much, the Firefox and all of that, and the Mozilla Foundation. Mr. Ike also was the creator of the JavaScript scripting language. So this mm-hmm. person has a lot of knowledge and skills behind them over the years. Brave has 25 million active users. No matter what we say here, they got a pretty nice pool of users uh, mm-hmm. utilizing this tool. And like I said, lots of studies out there um, talking about it being one of the most secure, the, the companies that go in and kind of do this research and then post the results, which browser is the most secure privacy by default. 
uh, rank Brave up there as one of the highest. And I love the fact that it has Tor Onion site built in. So if you go to an Onion site, you do not have to have a separate Tor browser. I don't know why Firefox hasn't implemented that, being that Tor is based on Firefox. Yes. It makes yeah, no yeah. freaking sense. <laughs> For sure. That, that Brave's the only one doing this thing here. They they create things like new privacy features dubbed the bouncing. It's designed to disarm bounce tracking, a method of internet tracking through intermediary domains that load when users click on a link. Um, debouncing will automatically recognize when users about to visit a known tracking domain and re-navigate that user to their intended destination and skipping the tracking sites altogether. So a lot of cool, yeah, that, awesome features that I really wish Firefox was saying they were released in their new version instead of some of the stuff that they did. So some very cool things there. Yeah, the tour thing is really cool. And I do agree that, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's interesting that it's, an, it's built in because a lot of people don't know what these dot onion things are and it would be able to make it easier to discover them so that that's cool. And this debouncing thing just it sounds awesome. Yeah. And I I love the fact that you can surf anonymously with with just easily creating a new private window with the tour option in the hamburger settings. Very nice that, option. That's brilliant. You know, having used uh, the Firefox based tour browser for of course many years which you know actually requires higher than average computer skills to install and use for the average user having this built into brave is is awesome <laughs> yeah it makes it easier for everyone uh to go to use tor and i also appreciate the fact that it has its own sync protocol for all your devices across mobile and computer and vivaldi has that as well so but it's, it's nice that they're not tied to Google for that. <laughs> it, it is, but I will bring this up. When people ask me why I don't use Brave, I tell this story. And it only happened once, and this was years ago, but it stuck with me, is that the, the sync system Brave uses, I was using Brave, I was enjoying the heck out of Brave, and then I got mm -hmm. these new a new computer, and I was going to sync the browser, and I did the words, where it gives you a bunch of words that you type in to sync all your bookmarks and things. And I did that, and what I got was somebody else's bookmarks. Oh, <gasps> that's right. <laughs> and somebody else's bookmarks filled my toolbar and every place they, and I have no idea who this person was, but that kept me from ever going back and using Brave again, because I'm like, that sync system, at least that one time, maybe it's something I did. Maybe I tapped in something just incorrectly enough that I got somebody else's <laughs> security password code, but that really stuck with me um, through there. So. That's one problem I have with Brave and its sync system. And again, it only happened once and maybe it was just mm -hmm. a fluke thing, but that's enough to kind of set you back a little bit. Another weird decision they made is that they have a VPN, but it's only available for iOS. So yeah. they make their own VPN what service, but you can't use it on Android. You can't use it anywhere else, but it's powered by Guardian, but on iOS. So they're kind of doing that weird thing Firefox did where they made a VPN and then make it available on very few systems. So hopefully they that but that was kind of odd as well michael what are your thoughts on if firefox wasn't an option for you anymore would you be using brave or vivaldi well your story about the whole syncing thing would make me uh hesitate but it also just not necessarily not use brave it would just make me not use their sync service like i would just do the manual stuff that i already yeah. do with firefox anyway because i prefer to do manual bookmarks and you know having passwords separated completely and not even using the browser because most of the time browsers are not the best option for that that's why bitwarden is is awesome uh but they're uh, they're the brave browser itself has a lot of stuff that i'm interested in i mean there's even cool stuff that i didn't even know was a thing until 
Brave started doing it, like the dot crypto thing being decentralized uh, domain stuff for the blockchain based domains. That's a really interesting idea that I didn't know about until Brave. So there are a lot of cool things that that Brave does. Um, I think some of the things that would make me I would be torn between Brave and Vivaldi if I didn't have the option for Firefox with container tabs. And if Firefox got rid of container tabs, I'd be torn between Brave and Vivaldi. <laughs> but, <There you> go. <laughs> uh, but I think that Brave is, a, is an interesting um, application. There are, there are some issues with the history that I didn't I don't like, like the, the idea of the whole previous bat fiasco they had with signing people up before without their you know consent to do so, the replacing of ads in uh, people's websites. So like if you sign up for an ad network, they will turn off your ads. And I understand the ad blocking concept is not necessarily a bad thing, but to put in their own ads instead of yours, uh, to me, that's a little bit sketchy. Um, but let's focus on that a, for a second, okay. because a lot of people have problems with Brave for this reason. So I think we need mm -hmm. to dive into it and let people know about this. What Michael is saying is there's a lot of controversy about Brave replacing ads on websites with their own ads. Um, Sebastian Anthony of Ars Technica calls it a cash grab, a double dip. He concluded that Brave is an interesting idea, but generally it's rather frowned upon to stick your own ads in front of someone else's. Uh, Newspaper Association of America, of course, says that this should be viewed as illegal and deceptive by the courts, consumers, and those who value creation of content out there. So a lot of people really mad about this fact because they're taking away revenue from a site. Let's say you launch a brand new site you're all excited about and you're going to monetize it through ads. So you put some ads on there. Brave's going to remove your ads out and block those, put their own ads there instead. And this really frustrates a lot of people um, because they're basically taking revenue away. Of course, they're trying to create another currency system through the Batcoin. So you could still donate to that site and say, if I really like that website, donate some of that cryptocurrency. But is that an acceptable trade-off? Uh, Michael, you're in this world of building websites for people and monetizing and marketing and all of that. Is this a big deal for you? Well, the the ads they replace is, is a voluntary thing based on the user. So they have to activate the ads in order before that to, to work. But it is still a replacement when you do activate it. So you still, you get that issue. And I don't think that it's, I mean... It's arguably unethical or ethical. Like there's, I'm not going to put it like my position on that because I don't really have a position about whether it's a, a bad thing to do this concept because it's never been done before in terms of like how they're focusing on privacy, but at the same time trying to do an ad network revenue sort of thing. Uh, but as far as like the bat token system, I don't like that part because if the solution is just the bat token and they don't have their own ad network that you can utilize. Like maybe, for example, if the website signed up for the ad network that they're doing and you were able to, you know, do a similar solution to say, hey, if they're using Brave, then use our ad network. And when people activate it, here's how you get and you know, you get the money from it. And it could be like a partnership in that sense. I wouldn't be pro I wouldn't be bothered by it if it was that. But if the solution is solely through the bat token thing, I don't like that at all. Not because I don't like cryptocurrency. I just don't like, it seems like, at least I haven't figured it out. But when I tried, it seems very 
like isolated to the browser instance. So if you have one device that has Brave, your wallet for Bat tokens is independent from the other device that you have Brave running on. And that just makes it so much more complicated to deal with the fact that you have this new currency to use. You have and, new wallets in every browser yeah. instance, mm-hmm. essentially. I think that's the only thing I really have an issue with is that if it is solely the Bat token as the solution, I think that's not a great solution. If they had an actual network that you could sign up for and partner with, I wouldn't be as opposed to the replacement because they wouldn't be replacing the they wouldn't be replacing the the value to the website owner. They would be replacing what exact ads are being shown and what network is showing it. That wouldn't be as bad if that's how it worked, but I don't think that's how it works. So I think another interesting thing, I like the idea that they're trying to find an alternative here. I'm not saying this alternative works with that, but I like this I idea, agree. this this concept. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like it so much is when I went through a Wildlife Foundation in Montana film uh, kind of school where they're going through all these different films and things like that, and all these producers and directors were talking about the conservancy of you know stopping people from poaching elephants and those type of things. One of the ideas originally was put all the poachers and everybody there in jail immediately shut it down, put them in jail and all this stuff. But then somebody on the, you know, got up and said, we need to find replacements for this economy. We have to find another way to fund these people making money. They're not poaching because they want to go kill elephants. They're poaching because they need to feed their families. Mm. So what they did instead is they set up, they would take these poachers, they would put them through a training program and teach them how to take people on tours to go see elephants or go see dolphins and basically set them up a business, help them get a little Mm. boat to go see dolphins and giving them an ability to make money so, and to me, that's that's kind of what we're dealing with in a way here. Solving the problem rather than treating the symptom. Exactly. Yeah. So what Brave is trying to do, and I'm not saying this is the solution, I applaud tremendously because they're trying mm-hmm. to find another way for creators to still make money off ads, but do it in a way that respects privacy. And I think that's brilliant. I think there needs some twists and changes, like you mentioned, Michael, or very, like if we could tap into that ad network ourselves and things would be some powerful things, but I applaud what Brave's doing here. Yeah, I agree. That's a great point about the whole, going to an alternative approach doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It's just, it feels sketchy because it's it's being done without the website owner's involvement or consent or even knowledge of it. Like that. Yeah. That's, the, that's the only issue I have with it is that like as a person who builds websites or, you know, has, you know, website, like, you know, front page Linux is an example where we would have ads that would be taken out without our knowing of it. And that just seems like a problem in general sense. So if they were to do it in a more, in a more cooperative way with the websites, that'd be fine. Let, let me ask you this. Do you see a difference or do you put the onus entirely on the content creator for the choice of what gets displayed on the websites or does the user who is browsing a site get some say into either I don't want to see ads or if I do want to see ads I want them in a freedom or privacy respecting way and then you as the site owner can participate where do we draw that line there's multiple um, factors of this and I would say that it's both um, because with the content creator, yes, they get to choose what they want their content to be and what content they display on their website or in their video or their podcast. All of these things is on the choice of the the, the content creator. But also mm. in terms of the ads in general, because some of these ad networks are not the greatest in terms of like 
the privacy. Be used for spreading malware. Not, um, not only just mm-hmm. privacy, but sure. security as well. That, Ads are used for malware all I mean, the time. It's, ha- yeah, it's and, happened in cases. So I, in terms of like people using ad blockers, I also think that that's a reasonable choice for the individual to make if they want to. I, I think that overall it's mm-hmm. a combination and there's no perfect solution. Um, but I think that uh, Brave is doing something that I I would be totally fine with if that approach was done like the user says, okay, I would like to use your ads instead of this one, but not automatically do that, you know? Because if they were to say, here's the regular ads, would you like to use the Brave ads? Mm -hmm. And they were to give it an option for the user or, for example, making the creators having the option to use their ad network in general, you know? Like maybe show the ads for their network to everyone, not just Brave users. You know, there's many different variables. I think that there isn't one side that says this is who should have the option. It should be various and depending but on what the situation. I, what I'm hearing is is collection mm-hmm. of input and then decisions be made. Yeah, the yeah. opt-in pay to surf. That, that's what you want. <laughs> yeah. It's more, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I just think that it'd be more options would be better. I, I don't like yeah. the fact that these this, this the only thing I don't like about this is that the option is made for you regardless. You know, like the user has an option to do ads or not, but they don't have an ad, option to do, you know, the regular ads or the brave ads. And the you mm-hmm. and the content creator doesn't have the option at all in, involved in any way whatsoever in terms of like the brave users because they either don't have your, your ads or at or any ads in it whatsoever, or they don't have your ads and they only have brave ads. Like that is the only option for the content creator. And I think that itself is a problem and that Brave needs to address it. So there are other things that Brave is doing here that are pretty awesome. One of the things I like seeing about Brave is that they're trying to innovate, release new products out there and not just be single threaded like we're Mm -hmm. seeing when we did our whole discussion about what Mozilla needs to do to change, to get Firefox from basically continuing to bleed users They really need to look into different areas of the browsing experience. And Brave does that quite frequently Mm -hmm. here, including this week they released their Brave Search. Um, This is a very popular because the Brave Search is an unfiltered search engine here uh, that respects users' privacy, very similar to DuckDuckGo, but they claim to have way more features than DuckDuckGo. They even have a little checklist to compare Brave Search against DuckDuckGo. So it's something, even if you're not using the Brave browser itself, that you may want to check out. Um, one of the main standout features they talk about is that they have their own search index that they're working on versus relying on Google for answering common queries, common being the key word here, so not everything goes through their index, without reliance on other providers. DuckDuckGo, for instance, relies on the Bing search index out there and, of course, anonymizes that. So that's not necessarily a, a negative thing. It's also important to note that Brave still uses Bing image uh, search indexing for images. So it's not like they've completely removed every big thing out there. But the point is they're trying to create their own index. They're working on creating their own index. And the more people search with it, the better their index is going to get. And I think that's a pretty cool thing that they released here. Well, DuckDuckGo also isn't solely on Bing. They have their own index. They just also use the Bing index as well. But uh, there are things that I think about like this. I tried out the Brave search and I really like the fact that it is a, you know, it does uh, one, it has a dark mode. Fantastic. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, but also like the search is really cool in terms of like it gives you the information like for the most part. Like I did some like various different searches and it was it was reliable in many ways, but also, it, you know, it's a brand new search engine. So in a search index, so I didn't expect it to have everything that I wanted, but it, it did have something that I really liked in the sense that you could actually send them feedback on the results of your searches. 
And that is a like you don't. It's they're still going to be collecting information about the searches and how you interact with them. But I think it's awesome that they have a feedback option because you can say like in these this one page how many were helpful, and I think that's just great. They also say, as far as comparisons to DuckDuckGo, that they're integrated with the privacy browser on both the desktop and the mobile. So there's integration across all the platforms with Brave. Transparent in how search results are ranked and uses independent search index, which we talked about. But Brave Search will be supported by ads. So I'm going to make my own browser. It's going to be the DOS Geek browser. It's going to rely on Michael <laughs> AI and all that type of stuff. And I'm going to replace Brave's ads with my own ads and see how they like it. Yeah, <laughs> and it will have a green theme. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but it does bring an interesting question. Like if I did the same thing back to Brave, like I create an extension that replaces all of Brave's ads with my own ads, it's kind of like what they're doing to everybody else in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very true. I did a destination Linux search and it came up with us four here. So that was the important oh, wow. part. It That's worked. privacy invasive. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, very scary. Um, something small is I like that you can actually switch on uh, GTK plus themes to match the theming of the of your gnome based uh, desktop in Brave, and that's, that's cool. a nice feature for Linux. <laughs> yeah, and they plan to offer an ad free version, by the way, of their search. You'll have to pay for it, kind of like what oh, Ghostry yeah. was doing with yeah, their search right. engine yeah. stuff, where you just pay a fee and. Um, that's something that they're looking into offering, which I like those options as well. I love when you give me a choice of just paying a flat fee and you get rid of the ads entirely and that type of stuff. But overall, here's my opinion on Brave. I love this browser because there's 25 mm -hmm. million people using it that's complete focus that they're bringing attention to is privacy and security, which I want more people to be educated about, I want more people to think about. It's also 25 million people that hit the privacy tab and end up in Tor and start trying to figure out what Tor is and learning about that, which I think is amazing. I think what Brave is doing here is awesome. Any of the critiques mm -hmm. that we're giving here is not to say Brave is not an amazing browser because I think what they've done for the privacy world is insanely necessary and just very welcome in a world in which so many people don't understand how these ads, how these ads could spread malware, how they're privacy invading, how there's so many companies just kind of really abusing the ad system so bad and Brave's doing a lot of stuff to stop that. So from that perspective, I appreciate them a lot. Uh, another uh, uh, really advantage to using uh, the Brave browser, and I have to have to say, yes, it's Chromium-based, but it is one of the fastest Chromium-based browsers, and I know a lot of that is because of the the ads and the way they're they're you know replacing different ads, so it's optimized. <laughs> yep, and um, it, it's really fast on uh, say uh, searching YouTube really fast. I'm really and, glad you said that, yeah. uh, Jill, because a lot of the ratings when I was doing research on Brave weren't talking about the amazing privacy and stuff. They were talking about being the fastest Chrome browser out there, mm -hmm. which I did not know that was one of the things that oh, Brave yeah. provided. But I guess because of removing all the ads, definitely going to give you some speed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There is benefit and, to that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, for me, I was happy when I was on, uh, you know, uh, surfing YouTube and it automatically removed the ads without having to install a plugin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is really nice. And it's also, um, because it is so fast and uh, efficient, I use it a lot for WebRTC for our video podcast. I've used it, used it here for Destination Linux. Yep. 
I guess I'll leave it at this and have one more question for Noah when I get through this. But a February 2020 research report published by the School of Computer Science in Trinity College, Dublin, tested a number of browsers, Firefox, Chromebase, all of this stuff, and deemed Brave to be the most private of them all in terms of phoning home. In the first most private group, Lies Brave, second was Chrome, Firefox, and Safari were third, or, or were second, and I'm sorry, Edge and Yandex were third in the, as the least private options out there, but Brave was number one in the top, which I think gives it a lot of credence. Again, one study, there's multiple out there you can research, but that's just an example. Now, Noah, my question for you is people who are running a business, they're starting a small business, they have some employees, they're going to load browsers by default for their employees. Would Brave be something you would recommend here? Vivaldi, Firefox, what's the one you would do for enterprises? You know, that's a really good question. And it, and it's kind of tough because one of the things that you deal with is cubicle support, right? So when somebody has a problem, in an ideal world, they would open a ticket or they'd reach out to the help desk or whatever it is, right? But the reality is they use cubicle support. Hey, Bob, how do I get this thing to work? And <laughs> from an ideological stance, do I think that would I be comfortable rolling something out like Brave and saying, hey, use this because there, there are privacy implications to it? Yes, 100%. On Monday, when I get in, when I go out to my first client, whatever the service call is, and they say, what browser do you recommend? Is Brave going to leave my mouth? Probably not, but that's why. Is there's the, There's an internal support aspect to it, and so we need to first get Brave established in the geek community, get our own heads wrapped around how it works, why it works, figure out things like the syncing issue, because that would be catastrophic if a user says, hey, did all my bookmarks sync somewhere to somebody else's machine? Like Those things would have to be fleshed out. But if I can, I want to ask one more question. Do we consider it all the engine that these are based off of? And so just a quick rundown. Apple uses, I think, WebKit, and then Google Chrome is the Blink engine, and Mozilla is using the Gecko engine. So if Brave is also a a Blink engine browser, are we not sort of, are we kind of giving in in that realm and just saying, okay, well, I guess... Google did design the best browser, and I guess we're all going to use it. We're just going to come up with a better implementation of it. Or is there hope for some sort of alternative engine? Do we want to support that tip to provide that competition in the marketplace? I personally think that having multiple engines is very is very important. And I think that's why um, that I'm, I'm such a huge fan of Firefox is because of their, you know, their, their, their the open open source nature of it, and the fact that they've been, you know, around for so long and promoting the open web and all that stuff, but also because it's a competitor on the engine side and a competitor in the browser space, but not the engine side, gives more power to whoever controls the engine. And in the case of Blink, it is Google. Uh, Google controls the Blink engine and also Chromium itself, so everything based on Chromium inherits the blink engine and i understand the value in it because the blink engine is impressive it's still controlled by one entity the it ultimately goes down to google if they want to put out their own decision of like doing the uh, idle detection system api that they made like they can totally do that because that's their choice to do it and mm -hmm. i don't i don't really like that sort of thing so i do think that the different engines are important well, I, I think it's a really important question. A lot of people in the community are trying to face this problem of um, Google controls a lot of things. But I've noticed that, you know, when you look at Brave and you look at what they're doing here, they're trying to replace a lot of the features that Google's adding on top of the Chromium browser, such as the sync features, the search engine, obviously defaults and those type of mm -hmm. things. 
So on that side, isn't Chromium open source and we're just basically taking the best engine, forking it, and Google can try to do what they want, but you have somebody like Brave out here make turning that thing into a very privacy security focused web engine. Isn't that okay? Yes and no. I mean, I'm kind of like 50-50 because it, there mm -hmm. is a lot of, like there is a collaborative effort in Chromium that and, and Blink. It's not exclusively controlled by Google uh, and it is open source and all that. So there is a value to it and it's not like the worst possible thing. It's not, you know, it's, it would have been much worse if Trident took over from Microsoft. Like that would have been. Uh, we already had that in you know in the you know early two thousands. Dare you? Trident was amazing. <laughs> uh, 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 okay, so we already had that issue. But I, I the only thing I don't like about it is that when you create a a single point of failure, if someone has the most like a single point of control as well, then they can just throw stuff in and pull the rug out from under you, and you really don't. You have to kind of you know, scramble to, to make sure that you, you know, have some kind of solution. And I think Brave is doing a lot of great stuff. You know, they're removing a lot of things that I don't like about the Chrome, the, the Chrome approach. Uh, but they're not, they're still dependent on the Blink engine in the Chromium base. So if Google decides to, at some point in the future, do something horrible, which I arguably they probably wouldn't because of the collective effort in the Chromium uh, build uh, the Chromium open source uh, community. It's just there's a factor, there's a possibility. Yeah. And I would rather have at least one other option be there, you know? Just one that's not related specifically to that engine and just that's why I like Firefox as a as a thing and I would want more browsers to be based on Firefox in that sense. So yeah. I would like there to be a Brave Firefox edition or a Vivaldi Firefox edition and all that sort of stuff. I know that that's not really that practical, but I think it would be fantastic in terms idea. of competition. All right, so there you have it. Our full rundown on Brave. Do any of us personally, does anybody run Brave outside when you're not using Firefox as a secondary browser or anything? I haven't used it since that one issue, but nobody else, nobody's using Brave here. So sorry, Brave <laughs> Army. None of us are using Brave, but... That doesn't mean you shouldn't because I like what they're doing in the privacy world. I think it's a really cool browser and I will be checking out more of their search engine. I'm very fascinated by that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that may be something. Of course, I've been a Cirque's addict for a while now, but uh, I'll take a look at it. See if well, you, maybe you could put that. your Brave search inside of your Cirque's setup. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Got some options there. Uh, and also another option you might want to check out is Bitwarden. So our, our, this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. So get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Bitwarden provides the tools to store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate passwords for you, and even automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff and makes it so much easier to just have all of these different passwords in for every website because you should have a different password for every account on every website for best practice. But that's a lot to deal with. But with Bitwarden, it's not because they can't. They handle all of that stuff. Plus, they make it possible to have it across all the different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile applications, desktop applications, or even on the command line. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves any of those devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data. Unless you want to share the password yourself, which you can securely through their organizational vaults for your friends and family of accounts or your business accounts and all these sorts of things. You can share it if you want to securely, but if you don't 
don't want to, you can know that there that it is stored, it is cr- encrypted locally on your devices. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium accounts, like their business accounts or their family accounts, or just the individual business or individual premium account, because you can get it started for less than a dollar per month. That's right. You you didn't he- that, I didn't have a typo on wor- verbal typo. Is that a thing? I didn't have that kind of an issue. It is actually less than a dollar per month to get started with Bitwarden. So, and you get a one gigabyte encrypted file storage, a two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. So make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your account at Bitwarden. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. Before we move on to the next topic, we received a comment that was really interesting. They're saying, well, what browser do you guys use every day? So I just want to cover that real quick. Noah, what's your go-to browser every day? (laughs) Firefox. Jill, what's your go-to browser? Um, Firefox and Vivaldi, about equally now. (laughs) And Michael? Uh, Firefox, 90% of the time, and Chromium the bare chromium no is the is that when i have to use a chromium based thing i'm just gonna use chromium and i learned that because i need to try brave honestly i will try brave after this episode because there's a lot of cool stuff i didn't know about that they could do and i didn't know about it being the fastest thing and the reason i chose Mm -hmm. chromium is because vivaldi while being really really cool isn't the fastest and it is kind of resource intensive because it have all the other uh, really cool features it has so (laughs) now it will either be Firefox plus Chromium or Firefox plus Brave going forward. Well, for me, I use Arch, number one. So let's start there. Oh, and I'm then so glad that you made sure for, to include uh, that in your <laughs> answer. Browser, though, however, um, when I'm using Arch, the browser I use uh, primarily recently has been Vivaldi, uh, probably 90% of the time and the rest Firefox uh, when I can. So that's now you know what browsers we're using right now. That, that's not to say that that's the browsers I will stick with because I like to try different mm-hmm. things and I'll get addicted to one for a while and then get bored and want to switch something else. So I'm just happy to have choices out there. And I probably will be checking out Brave again for a while just to see how much faster and things it is. Yeah. But I have something more exciting than browsers to talk about. This was really amazing news. <laughs> if you are looking at wanting to get into career in open source or Linux, or you're thinking about starting a business related to Linux, this is going to be some news that you're going to want to listen to here. Fortune Business Insights just published a report that shows some amazing growth here in Linux that's going to spawn lots of innovation and lots of investment in the next few years. The report profiles companies and organizations like Red Hat, SUSE, Canonical, Arch, Arch, uh, Amazon Arch, Debian Arch. Um, did you guys hey. see Arch was actually there? Listed oh, really? The I didn't notice Arch. that at all. Yeah, wow. elementary hey, and others. <laughs> Slackware Any Linux was that, listed uh, that too. You use? Any <laughs> distros that you're using, right? Um, let me look through the list. Yeah, Arch. Uh, oh, Arch is <laughs> <Yeah>. on there. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> so they profiled these companies, and the report concluded that the Linux OS market will rise at 192 percent. 19.2% CAGR through 2027. So that's compound annual growth rate, Woo-hoo. which would put us somewhere around 15.64 billion at 2027. So if you're looking at growth markets at a 19% growth market to 2027, that's huge. Yeah. What does that mean for us users? Noah, when you see a growth like 19.2%, What does that mean for you as a business owner? Does that mean you should probably move away from Linux because it looks like it's dying or what are your thoughts? 
really what we're seeing is the statistics are really just catching up to what we've all kind of just felt in the community for the past few years, right? As we've, as Microsoft is like, <laughs> Apple has proclaimed that the Windows desktop is dead. Microsoft, by all appearances, appears to be trying to kill it. <laughs> they just, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so what you're left with is you have Linux and you have an operating system that either people are using locally like we are here, but even outside of that, if you're one of the people that just, I don't know, I just I take my phone and I open up a web browser and I go to X. Okay, the resource that you're interacting with is undoubtedly running on a Linux server. And so whether people know it or not, whether people like it or not, whether people want it to or not, they're moving towards a direction of Linux for the first time. I've been working in IT since I started Altispeed 2009. I can't ever remember a time where I walk into a business and they now ask me what the software right. license is. Is it open source? Do we have data portability? Uh, what is it running on? Can it be hosted on AWS? I'm like, How do you know what AWS is? You know, like <laughs> that, but that's, that's the reality that we're living in. So I think when I see 19, 19%, I'm excited about it. I'm happy about it. I want to celebrate it, but I'm not surprised by it. I love it. I love it. I think this is huge for individuals too. If you're looking at making a career change, if you're oh, in totally. a job that you, you're just not happy with and you're like, man, I wish I could do this Linux thing for a living. This to me should give a lot of people some hope and insight that the job growth potential here in a market that's expected to grow 19.2% an annual growth rate is ridiculous. Like that, that is, I know it seems like maybe if you don't study these numbers that that's not a huge number, but that in, as far as a particular growth industry is just massive to calculate a 19.2% growth potential. I mean, people are happy when they get growth in their sales and, and their, in their growth 5%. in their business. When it's, yeah, when it's 5%, that is a day to celebrate. You know, if you get 5% in a year or 5% in five years, you are still in massively celebrating that growth. So to have 19% or, or, or more, because, you know, the speculation, it, it, they could be wrong. It could be even more, right? So I think this is a, you know, this this fortune uh, this fortune business insights, I think it sounds to be uh, very fortunate. Oh, gosh, the day. Uh, <laughs> ah, knee slipper. Uh, Jill, this has I, to give you hope as well in oh. education world of training kids on open source applications, using open Absolutely. source as the operating system. This is big for you from a college perspective as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, especially because the industry that I teach in animation is all moved to Linux, <laughs> so it just yeah. just makes it you know even even more important in the in the industry as a whole. Uh, there is something I wanted to point out about this article that I found very exciting. Arch is listed there. Is that what you're <laughs> going to mention? Well, Slackware oh. Linux was also listed, <laughs> which oh, okay. I was really happy about. But what was interesting. It said rising demand for advanced gaming hardware and accessories to drive market. Now, the fact that the terms Linux and gaming are even in a market share report is a first. Wild. That yeah. was just, I was like, wow, we have made it. Linux gaming has mm -hmm. made it. And it really looks like they are noticing you know, the growth in the Linux gaming market and the future of Linux gaming with the Steam Deck. And they Absolutely. know, you know, that's coming. So this is the first time I've ever seen a market share on Linux mention gaming <laughs> and Linux. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> and 
you know, the this also to me makes me think about the investment that companies are going to make as this grows, especially post COVID. We got a lot of people doing remote work using Linux and the cloud and those type of things. Exactly, it's going to be an investment in Linux security and features and in hardware support. And we're already seeing that in big ways. Look how Nvidia has come around over just the past year um, recently with their support of Linux. Absolutely. Everybody's seeing the writing on the wall except maybe a few content creators out there that make videos about Linux dying. What, what are you doing? Need not, what? Anyways, <laughs> every normal person out there understands and is looking at these and going, this is a huge growth opportunity. And I just thought it was awesome for our audience. So if you're looking into getting certified, getting into Linux, doing it as a career, you really couldn't pick a better time to get in um, really from a, a ground growth perspective. This is a hot time to jump into the Linux world. And here's the deal. The jobs that are opening up right now that are available that they can't fill, they I have so I we I keep my finger pretty closely on the pulse of the Linux job market and and what's going on. And I have frequent conversations with with people out there. And what I'm hearing is they can't hire people fast enough uh, to yeah. fill these positions. And so if you're sitting if you're saying to yourself, I've always wanted a job that I could work from home and I've always wanted to do something with Linux or get into IT if, and I, and I wanted to I want to launch my next career. The training is either discounted or free right now depending on where you go and what you're looking to do. Mm-hmm. And the jobs are they're all over the place. So, uh time could not be better uh to get on board the Linux bandwagon and make a living doing it. I love it. And speaking of gaming being mentioned on the report about the growth of Linux, um there's a new one in town. And yeah. there are never enough fighting games in the world. I agree. That's where the game Dual Souls, The Last Bearer, comes in. Uh, this game on Steam describes itself. Spirit of old school fighting games is back with Dual Souls. Inspired by the classic fighting game series, Dual Souls delivers it all. It's fast, it's full on, it's tactical, it's online, and it's fun. And yes, it is. <laughs> so if you enjoy the classic Street Fighter look and feel, then you're in for a treat, definitely, with this game. And Perfect. what's really fun is you can be an Ottoman warrior who gets a bit violent with a dagger or a sneaky ninja with some amazing moves, and even a shaman who uses spirits to attack and curse opponents. Hmm. That's I think the shaman might be ancient Michael A.I., Ooh, ancient Michael <laughs> Sure. There's so, a mythology around Michael AI apparently now. Yeah. Nice. So Dual Souls, The Last Bearer, was just released on Tuesday, October 19th, and already has only positive reviews. That's that's very awesome. So go, go yeah. grab it on Steam for only five $5.99. It's awesome. I love seeing fighting games like this come back. I mean, one of my favorite moments is, you know, we couldn't afford the new street fighter game that was coming out like and parents kept telling us wait 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 and then one night we had our friends over and my mom pulls out street fighter out of her purse and hands it to us and <laughs> we did cool. not go to bed it was the next morning we were still playing my parents woke up they're like what is happening <laughs> like it was just the greatest moment yeah they they did this so to me like i always have this kind of connection to these type of fighting games yeah. and some love for them so i love to see this kind of 2d <laughs> fighting rollback here with the this type of game and the fact that it's online and I could fight Michael here one on <laughs> yes. one. Oh, no, 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 no. I love this. You, you have no chance because the Michael AI is apparently built into it because of the ancient wow. technology. What a feature, sh- yeah, by the way. Right? He's a shaman. <laughs> yeah. he's, he, so, he's got magic abilities. Yeah. So you have to release a new t shirt, Michael. Michael is everywhere. 
right? <laughs> Michael's. The Michael AI bot is watching. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something that you should check out that actually exists, Pebbles. Check out Pebbles. And that is the software spotlight for this week. So this is a, an advanced calculator. And I know you're thinking, calculator, really? Well, this is very cool because in a couple of ways, it has tons of different features. So if you need a scientific calculator, a programmer's calculator, uh, calculus, statistics, if you need unit conversions, data calculations, all of these are is available inside of Pebbles. And what's also available in Pebbles is dark mode. This I know I mention it nice. all the time. Dark mode calculator, <laughs> I love it. This this actually adds an extra flavor to the calculator. You know, I, I like it. So if, so if all these features and you point out dark mode, that that's the one that catches I, your. No, no, these are I'm still cool, ta- but you know. I'm totally taking Michael's side on this. If it didn't have dark mode, it wouldn't even be up for consideration. That is the first feature I look for. <laughs> exactly. And it has to run Doom as well. I know it's software based. <laughs> <laughs> that would make it easier. So someone make it happen. Put well, this made me think of that, that, the TI calculators, because they can cost several hundred dollars. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I remember yeah. sitting there in a line watching a, a dad, like who was the, the daughter was going to call it, going off to college. And they had this list of calculators they needed. And the calculator was like $280. And the dad's face, when he's looking at this calculator going, mm-hmm. Like, really? Like, is this really necessary $280 calculator? And they're cool if you've ever played with one. But the fact that all of those modes and abilities are built into Pebbles here. Exactly. It's amazing. That's pretty amazing uh, to think about and utilize. And I tried some of its graphing capabilities, and it actually has like an Excel setup Mm -hmm. where you have different columns that you can put numbers in, and then it graphs them for you and creates graphs and things. I mean, this is a very advanced tool here, and it's available as a flat pack, so you can get it anywhere on any distro and run this thing. I love it. I thought it yeah. was amazing. And do you know, Ryan, those Texas Instruments calculators are still several hundred dollars. My students still complain. <laughs> oh, wow. <So>. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're looking for some Linux events to attend to, before we close out, I want to mention some. If you have a Linux privacy open source event, by the way, and you want us to cover it on the show, you can send it to us in our email and we would be happy to include it if it's based on open source and Linux. We will definitely mention it here in the show and you can get more attendance. A lot of these events are virtual these days. And speaking of a virtual event, we have the Open Source Analytics Conference that is a free virtual event that aims to celebrate and empower open source driven programs and analytic applications that run on them on November 2nd, 2021. And some of the highlights of this is the first ever conference dedicated to open source analytics. We were talking about careers earlier. In, in the telecom industry, we can't hire enough analysts. Like they're, mm. we literally are in a constant backlog. It's one of the biggest growth job opportunities out there getting into analytics. You could use your Pebbles calculator uh, while you're uh, getting into analytics as well to graph some of those numbers. But this would be a good way if you want to see how open source and analytics are going together and some skills you may want to learn to attend this particular conference. It's designed for the open source and analytic app developers to inspire innovation in the community. And of course, another event you should be participating in is the Fedora 35 testing event, um, which I think is going to end soon. Is Fedora 35 out right now? I heard something on Twitter saying it was out, and then somebody said it wasn't. Uh, I don't is think it? it's out, but Anybody I think know? it's very yeah. soon. It's it's currently yeah. in it's in, it's in release candidate mode right now. So okay. it RC will be coming one. out very soon, and I can't wait. <laughs> but I'm going to be putting uh, testing out Fedora 35 beta on my uh, new laptop that is currently running Arch, by the way. Uh, Don't but, do it, Michael. Don't do it. <laughs> but it, we, 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 ha- we have to be, you know, dog fooding. We tell people to do some testing, so I'm going to do some testing. We're going to do it. All right, fine. 
Good job, Michael. Good job helping support Fedora. And good job, everyone watching and listening to this podcast. Whether you are listening to the podcast version or you're watching us live every Sunday, we love your faces. And if you want more DL, you become a patron, like all the people in the behind-the-scenes 60,000-square-foot virtual stadium. They get to listen to the show in real-time audio. They have their own chat rooms and everything else. You can come hang out with us after the show as well. In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com, the best part everyone is invited to recording and watch the recording of destination linux each and every week and we can't wait to see you in the chat and also be sure to go to dealingstore.com you can pick up some awesome swag we have t-shirts hoodies mugs stickers aprons backpacks all sorts of stuff water bottles uh, you know travel mugs be sure to go to dealingstore.com and make sure to check out all the amazing shows here on the destination linux Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and get your Fedora hat on with the Fedora podcast. So everyone head to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everyone have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Have a Thanks good week, everyone. everyone. Woohoo! See you next week. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>